0: Zach, I forgot the clicker. can I get the thanks So that'll be kind of the pattern. we'll have a new word next week for next month and then we'll ask for testimonies on people around that word if there's something that God speaks to you as Mike shared around investment we'd love to have you share that uh, with us next month as we do that. so join us and find what next month's word is. Thank you. I stalled for that. Thank you so much all right so um Before I begin, I want to share something. I hope by this time you know me and you know who I am and you know what I think the church should and can be. And if you're new here and you don't know me, we'll get to know each other soon. That's fine. Um, I'm not interested in cultural wars. I'm not here on Sunday to play cultural warrior for the church. It's exhausting. It's never ending. I'm here to preach Christ and him crucified And the transformative power of the holy spirit in our lives that being said there are moments in our life that need mentioning in church and i imagine many of you and i know this is hard because people are sometimes present and not present to what's going on in the world but maybe you heard and saw the video of the death of tyree nichols an african-american man or the hands of five african-american police officers Uh, the video showed him being beaten on and succumbing to his injuries three days later I'm of the belief that easy answers and cliches and political silos are of no help in moments like this. I want want to have holistic conversations and holistic responses to these moments, and and I think the church can lead the way on that. The church can lead the way in, in these conversations, in these moments, in these times to talk about and point to Jesus. And we live in a world and inhabit a space where multiple things can be true at the same time. The first thing that can be true is that these five police officers were not acting in the best interest in the citizens of the city of Memphis, and instead were acting from a place of broken power. They've already been let go. They're facing murder charges for their actions. We pray for justice in that matter. The second thing that can be true is that not every, not every police officer behaves in this way or allows power to get to them. There are many police officers, former police officers, as well as those in the judicial system as a whole who are working faithfully to fix what's broken in policing in America. As I've said before, and I will stand by forever, people are not the enemy. We cannot demonize people and expect change, but we can support those making and working on uh, policies that is just and fair. I've mentioned before Brian Stevenson and some of the work that he does to end the death penalty in America and, and some of the policing practices, and there's others, men and women, black, white lawyers, police officers, working to change things. The third thing that can be true is that the black community experiences collective trauma from policing in America. I served a church in inner-city Detroit for six years, and there are stories that are relentless and never-ending. And I would add not just the black community, the poor, the homeless, those who may not fit the mold of society, they don't feel welcomed in any space. The church can have a say in there. The fourth thing that can be true is that maybe you're tired of the endless news cycles that don't affect change but provoke anger. I understand that. I do. I hear that. And to preach Christ and him crucified is to remember that God's glory is tied into my neighbor's good. A saying at the heart of our covenant denomination. That if my neighbor is suffering, I come alongside my neighbor with my arm around them. Though it may not be my story, it is my neighbor's, and we can pursue God together. One of the greatest quotes I ever heard was from a fellow covenant pastor, and I remind myself of it often. He said, remember, just because it's not true for you doesn't make it a lie. And so this experience may not be your experience, I understand that, it's not mine either, but I'm positive of one thing, that as the church, we should come around those who are hurting and those who are mourning and listen and pray. So I offer you two things this morning, if you disagree or you just want to talk more, you have my number, and if you don't, I'll give you my number, I'm happy to give you my cell phone, right. it's taken me 39 years of my life to grow to where I am and I continue to grow more, and it's through conversations with others. I'll meet you where you are and you meet me where I am and let's talk. Let's grow together. And the second thing I call us to is holistic prayer that we may pray this morning in this moment that seems helpless and and lost and we're hundreds of miles away. So let me offer a holistic prayer that we would pray for the family of Tyree Nichols who grieve his death too young and are now forced to air that grief in a public stage. Pray for the family that they would have justice in this matter. Pray for the five police officers who were fired and facing murder charges. They, they awoke the next day or maybe a few days later, and they were faced with the reality and totality of their life. And it must have been hard. It must be still hard. Pray for the family of those police officers, sons and daughters, grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads, and the grief that they're carrying as well. I invite you in this moment to bring whatever you might be feeling, anger, fear, frustration, numbness, maybe nothing, maybe you haven't heard this story yet, but speak honestly to the Lord about it. Seek Him out, and maybe as the church we can find a better way to talk and engage and enter in the mess and the struggle that is life sometimes. Let me pray. Lord, um, lift up all these things, Lord, and I pray for us here that we come from different places across a broad spectrum, Lord. We know that you love all people, all people. We pray for those who are carrying grief now, for the family of Tyree, for the police officers, for those in Memphis, for the churches in Memphis, Lord. What an opportunity to show your love and your hope in the midst of, of course, a very difficult and dire moment, Lord. Pray for us, though we're many miles away. What can we do here, Lord? What do you want to teach us? What do you want to show us? What do you want to reveal to us? Lord, I don't claim to have any answers. I just focus my eyes on you and put my arm around my brothers and sisters. May we all strive for that, to talk, to listen, to grow, to work for change and transformation in our communities. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now I want to start the Sermon Life together with each other. And, and before I do, I want to give a big shout-out to the Senior High Odyssey Youth Group on Monday night. Thank you, you all. This past Monday, we met together, and I presented my passage to them that I was going to talk about. And I asked them, hey, what do you think? You know, because I don't know what I want to say this week. And... Um, They gave me a lot to chew on. I don't know if I gave you anything to chew on. Maybe not. Maybe I bored you to death on that Monday. You can be honest. Um, But you gave me a lot to think about, a lot to chew on. And I appreciate you all very much. So thank you um, for that. And today we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11, our passage for today. We're going to continue on the journey of life together. We're going to move from life together with Jesus to life together with each other. And last week we talked about being yoked to Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, with Jesus, and that leads to trust and obedience and correction and fulfillment and all these important things. And now I want to talk about life together with each other for the next two weeks. I know that's not enough time, but we'll talk about it for at least two weeks. What does it mean to have life together with each other? Now, I want to begin by telling you a story. As a pastor, I hear all sorts of things, right? as you may imagine, um, People come up to me and tell me things that they think and they feel and this and that, and it is what it is. And before I was a pastor, I was an English teacher. I taught for a while. I've told you that before as well. And so I love the opportunity to teach. Teach new things that people may not expect. And so I want to tell you something that I hear a lot as a pastor, something I've heard quite a bit as a pastor in my time. And if this is you, please, this is no judgment against you. If you have thought this or said this before, uh, this is another teaching opportunity for you, right? Something to to learn. Um, Maybe you've heard this too, but I've heard this many times. Pastor, there's so much division in the church today. We got right-leaning people, we got left-leaning people, we got middle people, we got people who believe this, we got people who believe that. You know what I wish, Pastor? I wish we could just go back to how it was in the early church. They just loved each other and they loved Jesus. And I say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the early church looked like. Let's look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, the church in Corinth. Paul says to them, it's reported there's sexual immorality among you of a kind that pagans do not even tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Do we want to go back to that? I don't think so. Galatians 2, the church in Galatia. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. In other words, hypocrisy. There was hypocrisy in the church when I got there. Do you want to go back to hypocrisy? I hope not. How about Philippians? Philippians 4.2. I plead with Judea and with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. These two women had conflict with each other in the church and it was hurting the church. He says, hey, help them out. Conflict in the church. Imagine that. James 2. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor, showing favoritism to the rich. What's my point? What am I getting at here? When we talk about life together with each other, there's a temptation to say, oh, it was so much better back then. And whatever back then is, we can make up back then, whatever you want it to be. In any congregation in America and across the world, even this one, there's always a temptation to say, "Ah, it was better back then. Let's just go to back then. But in reality, from the moment the church was conceived and the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2, there's been conflict. Because yes, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, but man, sometimes we get angry at each other. Sometimes we get frustrated with each other. We do sinful things behind each other's backs and under each other's breath. And it can be discouraging when these things happen. Particularly in the church. You know this. I know this. If you've been involved with church for any amount of time, you may have been hurt in relationships, and it's okay to acknowledge that. Jesus and Paul, they dealt with broken people and broken relationships all the time, but neither of them threw up their hands and said, well, that stinks, sorry, Eh, might as well go your own way, go on. But instead what they did was they passionately painted a picture of what life together could look like. They said, man, it doesn't have to be this way, there's a better way to live together. And so today and next week and this year, I want to passionately paint a picture of what life together can look like. When a community of believers filled with the Holy Spirit come together and say, hey, we wanna get through these hard times together. We wanna share this all together. We wanna be in this together no matter what. And two weeks is not enough time. We'll just scratch the surface. But I wanna start today with Philippians 2 intentionally because I wanna hear what Paul has to say about obedience and submission and humility as it relates to pursuing life together. So let's read Philippians 2 1 through 11. It's a famous passage. It's oftentimes called the Christ Hymn. This is from the NIV. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same mind, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So Paul begins with this question, non-question. He's sort of asking them, but he's like, hey, here's the answer. Here's what it should be. If you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have comfort in Christ's love, if you share in the Spirit of God, if the Spirit has created in you tenderness and compassion toward Jesus and others, the answer there should be yes. He says, hey, there's something that's required of you then. Paul is speaking to this community that he's intimately familiar with. As I shared earlier in chapter 1, verse 5, they partnered together. This church gave Paul a large financial donation to help in his missionary work. And he says, we partnered together in this gospel. He knows they love Jesus deeply. And he's joyful for the ministry of the Philippians. And he says, now make my joy complete. The deep love and reverence for Jesus should translate to something. And what is that? He says this, it should mean that you are like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. If Christ has transformed you, the community should look like this, like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. He goes on and says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And this literally translates to, don't do anything out of an empty opinion of yourself. An empty opinion of yourself. Now, now you can put a little asterisk there, all right? verse 3. We're going to come back to that, because I love that phrase. An empty opinion of yourself, but rather, in humility, value your brothers and sisters above yourself, not considering, not considering your own interests, but the interests of others. Then Paul says, let me give you an example of what that looks like. And the best example is Jesus. Verse five, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus. That is to say, and this is crucial, when you consider how you want to relate to your brothers and sisters, consider how Christ related to you in this world. Consider how Jesus related to you. The basis of our relationship with one another comes from our understanding of Christ's relationship with us. So let me be blunt for a moment. If we have a shallow understanding of Christ's relationship with us, we will have a shallow understanding of how to relate to each other because those two things are related. I like to use the illustration of a meal when I talk about a relationship with Jesus, like a communion table or a meal that we sit at. And Jesus calls us to the table and he comes, he says, this is my body, eat it. This is my blood, drink of it. This is my word, read it and be filled by it. And so we got to stop and sit with Jesus and eat and be filled. Now, I'm I'm assuming most of us have heard of the term hangry, to be hangry before, right? Anyone ever been hangry? Yes, me, right? The kids sometimes are very hangry. Uh, If you don't know this word, it's the combination of the words hungry and angry, right? Sounds like uh, we got a hangry kid in the back, right? So Yes, uh, you know what happens. It's It's all good. Um, So. Hangry, you can get hangry when you don't eat enough, right? When, When you haven't stopped long enough to sit down and eat a good meal, you get hangry. I get hangry sometimes. And the problem lies is that sometimes we have hangry Christians. We haven't sat at Jesus' table long enough to be fed by Him. And so we go off hungry and angry. Paul says the basis of your relationship with others reflects the mindset of Christ. And we can only understand the mindset of Christ by spending time with him. We can only understand by being fed so that we can go generously love others well. Paul says, first, Jesus in his very nature is God. Jesus is God. He is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They exist together as one God, each unique, but together, each exists in community with one another for all time. That's the extent of my Trinity theology. That's all I got today on the Trinity. Um, I'm sure there are many of you here who know better than me, so you can go talk to them. Uh, I I still wrestle with it myself. He says, God, Jesus came. He descended from above to be incarnated in human flesh and walk among us. And I'm going to use these two words intentionally this morning and explain why I'm using them. Jesus came from a place of power and privilege. Jesus came from a place of power at the right hand of the Father in glory, receiving praise from angels continually all the time. He was there at creation. He's here now, and he was there at every space in between. And he came from a place of privilege. Paul tells us he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. When Jesus is being arrested in Matthew 26, and they claim to have power over him. He says in Matthew 26, 53, don't you think I, I cannot just call on my father all at once and he will dispose more than 12 legions of angels? He says, don't you know how much power I have? I have power to do something, but I'm choosing not to. Because the next verse says, how would this scriptures be fulfilled that say that this must happen in this way? He did not consider using his equality with God as something to his own advantage when he came down to us. But instead, Paul says he made himself nothing. And here's this word again. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. So in verse 3, Paul says, hey, you have empty, we have empty opinions of ourselves that we need to let go of. And instead, we need to empty ourselves as Christ did. It's a word play. It doesn't quite work in the English, but it works in the Greek. Instead of having empty opinions of ourselves, we should follow Christ who emptied himself to be a servant to all. To walk among us. John 1.1 1, 1 in the message. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He made himself home among us. And second thing he did is this. He, he voluntarily gave it all up. to became a servant of all of us. He humbled himself. Not just to the point of saying, well, I guess I'll just come down here with you. But he says, I humbled, he humbled himself to the point of death. This is the gospel. The point of death on a gruesome, terrible, awful, painful, humiliating cross. And it's hard to give up power. And here's Jesus saying, I, I give it up. I give it up to go to the cross for eternal life for you. Power is addictive. Power can take over. But here Jesus gives it up fully. And he goes to the cross. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had power and privilege. He voluntarily gave it up to serve us. And third, God exalted him because of it. He was raised up because of it. Philippians 2, 9 and 11. God, therefore God, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He didn't come looking for exaltation. He came in humility, emptying himself to serve us, to give his life in our place. So let's come back to Paul's words. How do we live a like-minded life with the same love in one spirit and in one mind? Do as Christ did. Though you might have power over someone, don't use it to your advantage. Voluntarily give it up to become a servant in the kingdom of God just as your Savior did. When we serve one another out of humble love of God, we bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When we consider how to empty ourselves, For the sake of loving God and loving others, we bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When we consider what we have that we may use for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor, we bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Another way to say that is this. Maybe maybe you've heard this. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. What we have been blessed with, God has called us to use for the glory of him and and for the good of our neighbors. And it comes from a place of emptying ourselves in humility, and serving others. A great example of that is actually from Philippians. uh, Acts 16, Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman who gave her house as a space for believers to gather. When Paul was released from prison, she welcomes him in and says, come be in my house. I have this space. I've been blessed with it. It is for the church. Let us be a blessing together. So, I want to come back for a moment to you teens, if that's okay. I asked your permission on Monday. Hopefully your permission is still good. Uh, Don't rescind your permission because I'm about to use you as an illustration. I'm sorry. So um, you said you're okay. So I hope you're okay. I was talking on Monday. We spent the whole hour from 7 to 8 talking about Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And then I asked them at the end, I said, hey, guys, um, do you think this is possible? Like, do you think it's possible to live like-minded as the church and one spirit and one mind? Do you think it's possible? Do you remember what you all said? Yeah, you said no, right? And and, and to a, to a person, all of them said no, and, and I would take an honest answer a hundred times over a hundred over a dishonest answer that I want to hear, right? And and I, I and it was right at the end, and so we kind of left, and I didn't push back and say anything. I was like, okay, you know, and we you know left, um, and, and so. I went on that week, this week, and I was like, man, I should have said something else. I should have encouraged them. I'm a terrible pastor. No one's going to send their kids to Odyssey anymore. It's the end for me. This is it, right? But then I thought about it, and I was like, wait, wait, hold on. No, they're actually correct. It's not possible. Not in our own power. It's not. It's really not. Because we have empty opinions of ourselves. Too often, I know I do. I have empty opinions of myself. I won't talk about you. I'll talk about me. I sometimes have empty opinions of myself, and I need to rid of myself. I oftentimes think about being first and right, rather than being last and serving. And here comes Paul saying, "Hey, uh, you want to treat each other? You want to do life together? Well, consider Jesus, who came last and is serving." So when I hear teens saying, "No," what I hear is that they've seen a bunch of people trying this in their own power and not succeeding. So I commend you teens for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Rather, what we need to understand is that we have this beautiful gift, this community knit together by the Holy Spirit who instructs us, teaches us, leads leads us to all truth, and can knit us together as like-minded people. If only we are ready to empty ourselves and to let go of what we know to listen to the least among us. Speaking of the early church, I already put down the early church, so maybe I can lift up the early church for a moment. They didn't have political power. They didn't have social power. They didn't have financial power. They were oftentimes spoken of behind their back. They lived a rough life sometimes. They were yelled at and spit on. Some of them even faced death as Jesus did on a cross. But what they did have was nothing and the Holy Spirit, and that was enough. See, they had Jesus... They had the Holy Spirit, they had each other, and that was enough. And they moved through the world, showing Christ's love, preaching a message of repentance and turning to Jesus and serving all they came across. Life together with each other is a life where we choose to empty ourselves, listen to each other, learn from each other, and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and each other in his own timing. We can be in a rush sometimes. I know I can be in a rush. I want to go from here and here. I want to make sure we're doing this and make sure we're doing that. And, And there's something beautiful about the slow, faithful work of the Holy Spirit. He's not in a hurry. He's been here before. He's seen churches our size before. He's seen people like you before. He's not in a hurry. He's here to transform you, to show you what it means to empty of yourself, to become the last and to become a servant the glory of God. So to close this morning, I invite you to consider some of the questions that I've brought up and that I believe the scripture brings up here. What, what is the Holy Spirit calling you to empty of yourself right now? Maybe there's something in this moment, you've know, been boasting about it or filled with this or that, and, and it's caused conflict with a relationship with others. Maybe it's been something challenging in that moment. Consider what it is that the Holy Spirit is telling you, empty yourself of this. Because I want to fill you up with something better that can knit a community together, truly together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself to the point of becoming a servant, being made in human likeness for God's glory, for neighbor's good. Let me pray. Lord, help us this morning as we consider life together with each other. I know, Lord, I can be boastful. I can struggle with things. I need constant reminder of the need to empty myself. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we receive that reminder as well to empty ourselves, to become as servants as you did, Jesus to serve and love one another well. Lord, I pray that we would pause and not be in such a hurry and take time to sit at your table and be fed by you so that we're not hangry, but we're filled by you so that we can go and be a blessing to others. May we consider what you have blessed us with that we may be a blessing to others with. Maybe things we never even considered. That you might be glorified in what we do how we engage, and how we interact with each other. Holy Spirit, fill us, fill our church as we humble ourselves. Knit us together that we may be truth and salt and light in this world. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.